guys, thank you so much for leading us in worship. Thank you for leading us each and every week. And uh, it's just fun to be with the body of Christ, uh, to worship each other, to be a family together. And so thank you for joining us here at Shea. Uh, all of you at Cactus, over with Rick and you guys, thanks for joining us. All of you online, uh, over in the chapel as well. And to my family up north, I miss you guys. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, I do want to say something. Uh, you know, being up at Northridge, all of you guys that are online, there's a lot of you online, uh, my Northridge family that watch online, I never get to see you because you take the feed from Shea, but here I am. So uh, I want to let you guys know, all of you Northridge family that are online, uh, oh, thanks. Hey, I got a fan club. Yay, people like me. Uh, no, that threw me off. Uh, to my Northridge family uh, watching online, I haven't seen you in a while, uh, but just know this, man, we love you. As pastors, we are praying for you. Uh, we are here for you. The, the family is uh, waiting with open arms whenever we get to a place that we're all comfortable to join together. I just need you to know that uh, we love you and we miss you, and we look forward to seeing you guys someday soon uh, when we all get to that place. Uh, and thank you guys for the applause and just for welcoming me back as the uh, cast-off child to the north. So it's good to, good to be here. Uh, you know, we are, we are continuing this, this series, uh, Seven Questions God Answers. And we are in week three. And so we're going to look at a question today that, honestly, if I'm honest, and I looked at the, the list of questions that, that Jimmy put up, I've gone through this before with Larry Crabb and went through all of these questions. And for the most part, uh, without fail, I have zero problem allowing God to answer all of the questions, except for this week. Last week, Jamie looked at, at who is God. Man, I have no problem looking at God and going, man, who are you? You tell me who you are. You're the Trinity. Man, that's great. Uh, what is God up to? Well, man, I, I would hate to say that I would want to answer that question in the midst of a world like this. I have no idea what's going on, but I'm thankful that God knows what's going on. And Jamie did a beautiful job spelling out, look, God's got a larger story. Can we trust him in that? Man, absolutely God can answer that. Next week, what's gone wrong? God, what has gone wrong? This can't be what you, you longed for. What, what happened? He's going to answer that. How's God fixed our problem? We're going to look at that. How do we walk hand in step with the Spirit? How is God moving in us? I have no problem looking to God saying, yes, please answer these questions for me. But when it comes to our question we look at today, and the question is this, who are we? Who are we? The reality is I know truth in my head. I know God's answer to that question up here, but here's where my struggle begins, is do I allow the God of the universe to answer that question for me? Do I allow the God of the universe to answer that question for me? And so let's, well, we're gonna look at the who are we, we're gonna look at it as mankind and, and who are we as, as human beings. Uh, but let's, let's personalize it before we even dive into it today. Uh, who are you? Who am I? And who have I given the right to answer that question for me? And answer that question for yourself. Who defines you? Who in your world have you given the right to answer that question as to who you are? Is it the God of the universe? Man, I hope so. You're gonna hear some of my journey. There's so many truths that I know up here, and yet if I'm to be completely honest with you, the transfer from here to my heart and feeling and believing that sometimes uh, gets a little murky, a little cloudy. So who are we? Who are you? I'll tell you a couple of stories. It started for me when this, this journey first became real and critical and, and at times overwhelming to me. Uh, I grew up in an incredibly awesome home. My parents love me. My mom to this day is praying for me right now and she'll send me a text. I'm your biggest fan. I, my mom loves me. My parents love me. 
So it wasn't until I was about 12 or 13 entering junior high that I realized that there were people out in the world that may not love me as much as everyone else in my family did. I don't know where you're at on the spectrum. Maybe you have long since oppressed your junior high memories, but I can still remember as a 12, 13-year-old boy walking into Sunrise Middle School. I have my backpack on. I'm ready to go. And I remember praying as I walked across the field, God, please don't let it be me today. Because if you've never been around a group of junior high boys who are all wildly insecure in themselves, here's how a typical day goes. We all would show up. We would gather up together. Maybe there'd be 8, 10, 12 of us in this little circle. And it was like, who was going to say the wrong thing, wear the wrong thing, not have watched the right show, not be listening to the right band? Something was going to happen on any given day that would cause the rest of them to attack. And all you wanted to be each and every day was not the one on the end of the attack. Because our insecurities are running rampant. And if we could attack somebody else, they got all the attention off of us. And so day after day, this is how it would go. And plenty of days I skirted by and all attention was off me. There are plenty of days that I was the victim of whatever the vitriol was that day. And I learned as a junior high, 12, 13, 14-year-old man, who was I? Well, man, it began to set in. I was whatever these people thought of me. I was whatever the world thought of me. And so I began to pursue this people-pleasing. How do I make everybody happy? How do I get you to like me? And began chasing this because what you think of me matters so much. That's who I would allow to define me. One of the questions was posed, who are you? Well, I am whatever you think I am. This was reinforced and added, ratcheted up a notch when I was in high school. Uh, I, I played football at Horizon High School back when they were good. So we were at Horizon High School. It was great. Uh, it was my senior year. I was a starting offensive tackle, and it was a Wednesday afternoon, and Wednesday's practices would go like this. The starting offense would get out, and we would run our plays against the scout team defense. And the rest of the team, all 50 or so other guys, would kind of make a half circle around the practice and watch what's going on out here. And so I line up my position at, at offensive tackle, and on this particular play, I'm the trap block down the line and, and block the nose guard which if I already lost you, that means nothing to you, that's fine. But for those that do, you guys get what I'm supposed to do. Come down the line and block a giant human being and push him out of the way so my running back can run. The ball was snapped, down the line I come. And for whatever reason on this day, and I still can't figure out why, I missed my block. I completely whiffed. And as I went right past the guy I was supposed to block, it all happened in slow motion. I knew exactly what was gonna take place. Our football coach at the time was notorious for throwing four-year-old fits anytime somebody made a mistake. And he would use the most colorful language you can imagine, not fit for a four-year-old, but with all the vitriol and temperament of a four-year-old. And so he begins to go off and just loses his mind, and he's yelling and screaming, and four-letter words become nouns and verbs and adjectives. I mean, all directed at me. And I knew I'd seen this play itself out hundreds of times before. He'll yell at me. I'll get back to my position, he'll blow the whistle, and he'll say, run it again. So I'm just waiting to hear that. Hit the whistle, let's do it again. I know what I'm supposed to do, but for whatever reason, this day, he didn't stop. He just kept going. And I remember standing in my position, just standing there waiting, please let this whistle go. And I can't see him, he's out of sight, and he comes running around right in front of me, and he grabs me by the face mask, yelling and screaming, every obscenity you could think of, and then drags me down the line to show me exactly what I'm supposed to do, and takes my face mask and shoves it into the chest of the nose guard. And you're gonna block him into the... 
okay, I got it. And he picks me up. And as he's screaming at me right here in my face, I can still picture it in my head, guys. This is how terrifying it is. I look past him just a little bit and I see all of my friends in this half circle just watching this ridicule take place. And I went right back to that circle in junior high thinking, man, you guys, I am who you think I am. And this man is just belittling me in front of all of you. And he takes me by the mask and he shoves me back down the line. And I get down in my football stance, just crying out, please let this be over. And I'll be honest with you guys, I can't tell you a single word he said up to this moment, but I will never forget his parting shot to me. Pick up, get back on the line. We all get on the line. Before that whistle blows, he yells out, Yule, you are an abortion gone wrong. Run it again. And we ran the play, and I got through the rest of practice. And I remember getting in my car and just thinking, what just happened? Man, I care so much what other people think. I made a mistake. I failed. And I now had a whole new definition for what failure felt like. And who was I? Man, I'll tell you what, I never wanted to fail. But I began to define myself as a failure waiting to happen. I may not have ever gotten to the place where I would define myself as my coach did that day. But I'll be honest with you, terrified to fail. Because that's who, that would define me. Last story, a couple years later, I get a job. I graduate college, I get my first ministry job, working for an incredibly gifted, talented man who happened to be in student ministries before I was hired on as a junior high pastor. And he, he sits me down and, he, and I, I give him my whole thing on what I would do. And he goes, all right, I think we're, we're gonna give you the shot. You're gonna be our new junior high pastor. And I went, oh, thank you so much for this privilege and this opportunity. And he just said, well, don't let me down. Don't let me down. That was his parting shot to me. And you couple that with a fear of failure marked by I am whatever this man thinks of me is my definition. And I was in a dangerous spot. And so I worked and I worked and I worked and I worked so hard to the, to the detriment sometimes to my family and other things. And I did everything I could to walk hand in step with the spirit. And for whatever reason, for a period of time, God's hand of favor was upon the ministry that I was overseeing. Kids were coming to know the Lord. Disciples were being made. Families were coming to church. It was awesome. I remember going home so many times going, God, I'm doing the absolute best I could possibly do. This is so good. This is what I was made for. I love every part of this. And it didn't matter how hard I worked or how great I thought I was doing, even my best effort would be met in staff meetings and in private meetings with my boss, with him letting me know how I wasn't quite measuring up and how he was always just a little bit better. Might be a passive aggressive statement here. Might be a comment made in a staff meeting for all to hear. But I remember so many days going home, sitting in my car, driving down Pinnacle Peak, trying to get back to my house and just thinking, God, even my best even my best, I can't do any better, isn't enough. And the hopelessness that began to build, I knew that I couldn't fail, but I wasn't failing. Even my best wasn't good enough. I've been wrestling with this for a long time because the reality is for me, who am I? Who am I? Am I gonna allow God to answer that question? Or am I gonna continue to live in this battle over my soul and everything that's going on inside me. And I don't know where you're at. Maybe you've got a similar story. Maybe it's far worse than anything I shared. Maybe it's not as bad. But who answers that question? I think sometimes, at least for me, I began to mask some of my own insecurities in great things. 
I got six kids, man. I would kick open the door some days when I was beaten up and bruised from work and walk in and my kids would come running around the corner. Dad's home, yeah. And I would think, oh, this is who I am. I'm a great father. That's just as dangerous. I have the greatest wife God ever created and married to me and her name is Brooke. She is awesome. She, I, I love her and I do my best to love her like Christ loved the church each and every day of my life. And I wanna make her happy and pleased with me all the time. But at the end of the day, I can't let her define me. I can't, it's a dangerous game because I will do something to screw that up. And when that goes sideways, man, we're in trouble. It could be your job, it could be anything. I mean, what do you do? Who answers that question for you? Can we allow the God of the universe to answer that question for us? I'll explain why I think that's so important in just a little bit. Let me pray for us and then we'll dive into our time in the word. God, I thank you so much. God, I, th I thank you for this gift you've given me in your word. God, I pray that it would be a... a a truth that I hold on to with every fiber of my being. God, certainly today, as, as you know, my own struggle in this. God, as I look to your truth, I know what it says. God, I pray these would not be words on a page, promises on a screen, but God, this would be the truth that I allow you to speak over me. God, I would live in the fact that I am created in your image and I am your beloved son and nothing else on this earth would matter. God, I know the battle my own soul fights and I know there are so many here that fight that same battle. And so God, I pray that you would meet us in this place. I pray your Holy Spirit would move. I pray that you would grab each and every heart, both here and online. God, that you would do something only you could take credit for. So God, we will thank you in advance for what you're gonna do. Thank you for all the blessings you've already heaped upon us, even this morning. We love you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the questions that God answers, here's how God answers the questions. All of you type A note filler outers, I'll give you the, the definition right up front. How does God answer this question, who are we? He says this, who are we? We're image bearers of God, every single one of us. And in Christ, and this is the most important two-letter word you might hear today, in Christ, I am a beloved child, a son or daughter, of God most high, created to bring him glory. Who are we? This is who we are. Image bearers of God. And for those of us that know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are not only image bearers of God, but we are thrust into a world that we're gonna hear today. We actually become sons and daughters of the God of the universe. That is incredible truth that we know here. Do we allow it to define us here and how we live life? Let's pull this apart a little bit. Image bearers of God. What does it mean to be an image bearer? Well, where do we get image bearer of God? Look at Genesis 1, 26 and 27. It's on page two of your Bible. It's the very beginning. God's made everything. He's, he's created all things and it is good. It is good. It is good. And then the Trinity gets together and goes, hey, let's make man in our image. And this is where it picks up. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This image of God component Sometimes I think it's lost. You guys realize God made everything. He's looking down on all of it and the Trinity gets together and goes, let's do something incredible. 
Let's make the greatest thing we've ever made. Let's create mankind in our image, bearing the image of God. And then let's let them rule over our creation. Let them have dominion over everything that breathes and walks on this planet. Let's make them the greatest of all the creation. And so he creates human beings, mankind, in the image of God he makes us. And every person that has breathed air on this planet, every person who has ever existed has bore the image of God throughout their entire existence. Do we get that? One commentator would say this, do we see the significance? But among all the creatures, only man is the image of God, the highest and richest revelation of God, and therefore head and crown of the entire creation. We are the crescendo of what God made. Now don't get too arrogant on me because you're gonna hear next week how we've screwed that up royally, but <clears throat> even in our sinful broken selves, we bear God's image. What does that mean to bear the image of God? Lots of people all over the map, but here's, here's really where I ended up. I think there's, there's three major, if not 50 other smaller components maybe of ways in which we bear God's image. Certainly, when you look down at mankind, there is a moral code in us a sense of right and wrong in us that is partially part of the image of God that we bear. Now, I know the spectrum shifts and what's wrong for some of you is not so wrong for others. And there's a, a spectrum there, but there's a moral code inside of, of human beings that, that drives us. That's part of the image that we bear. There's certainly a, a spiritual nature in us. We have a spirit, a soul in us created for eternity, either eternity with God or eternity separated from God in hell. And where we go depends on what we do with Christ. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But there's a spiritual component to us, a longing. The Ecclesiastes say, I put eternity in your hearts, a longing for greater things. That's why throughout history, throughout cultures, anywhere you go in the world, you see mankind worshiping forms of deity and worshiping things greater than themselves because they're longing for something else. Could that be part of our image of God, this spiritual component that we have and that we can relate to God the Father? Ultimately, and this is the one I think I, I, would, I would die the hardest for, is certainly in our relationality. Remember Jamie talking about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit relating together, being relational with each other and they're in perfect relationship with each other. And could it be that part of the image that we bear as human beings is when we relate to each other? Maybe this is why God and Christ and Paul and Peter and every author of the Bible would put so much emphasis on loving each other. Would you love each other well? Would you put God on display in how you treat and respond to each other relationally? That's part of the image that we bear. Atheists have a, have a theory, this whole survival of the fittest theory. But that's how we got where we are. Survival of the fittest. Survival of the fittest is a great theory. It falls apart completely when you insert things like compassion and grace and mercy and goodness. And when I sacrifice myself for the good of somebody else and gain nothing from it, how does that fit? Well, that's putting the image of God on display. It's part of what God created us with as human beings. So when we care for the least, the last, and the lost, when we love anyone around us, when we show compassion, mercy, and forgiveness to others, we're putting God on display. It's part of the image that we bear. This is for every human being. In Christ and out of Christ, we all bear God's image. Let me read you this quote, and then let's up, it, up the conviction game a little bit here. Here's what he says. This is Wayne Grudem. Dr. Grudem says, every single human being, every human being, no matter how much the image of God is marred by sin 
or illness or weakness or age or any disability still has the status of being in God's image and therefore must be treated with dignity and respect that is due to God's image bearer. Every single human being, no matter how marred by sin, still bears the image of God. Do we see, especially those of you in this room as sons and daughters of God, those that have their hope in Christ, do we see a world around us as image bearers of God? No matter how marred by sin, in our opinion, can we see them as those that bear God's image? And do we have a heart that breaks with compassion for them? Go back and look, Ezekiel 18. God, doesn't, God takes no pleasure in the punishment of the wicked. We understand that? Paul to Timothy, right? God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Peter, God's not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness, but he's patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to eternal life. Every human being on this planet matters to God, has intrinsic value to God because every human being bears God's image. Do we as sons and daughters see it that way? I was this close to doing this, but I thought, I don't want to get in too much trouble. But I thought about putting a picture of a, a certain political figure up here on the screen. One who has been wildly opposed to our current president for his entire tenure. Has done everything she can to stop everything he's trying to do. And if I'm honest, holds to some different political opinions than maybe I would, I would agree with. And it seemed to be a little more divisive than maybe I would choose to feel comfortable with. And I, I, this, this image comes up, and my question for myself and for anybody in here is when that image comes up, when she's on the screen and she's speaking and she's talking, can I get past everything that's going on and all the, all the fleshly sinful emotion in me, and can I see her as an image bearer of God with intrinsic value to him? And with compassion in my heart, can I pray? Not for my will, not for change, not for, for her to come to my understanding of things, but just pray for her soul. Say, God, she bears your image. She has worth and value and, and, and everything to you. Can, can she have that same for me? Are we there? Every human being has worth and value to the God of the universe. So much worth, so much value that God would reach out to his creation over and over and over again and try and get them back in proper relationship with him. And for thousands of years, he sent us the law and he sent us the prophets and he sent us his, his, his angels down here to tell us, this is what I'm asking of you so that you can be right with me. And over and over and over again, we failed. And go read the history of Israel until God finally said, all right, that's it. I'm gonna come do the unthinkable. And the God of the universe comes to earth in the form of Jesus Christ, he lives a perfect life and at the end of his life finds himself in a garden with a decision to make. To go be with the Father or to die a horrific sinner's death on a cross. Why? So that every image bearer, every human being could have the opportunity to place their faith in Jesus Christ and get catapulted from an image bearer into becoming a son or daughter of God Most High. That's what it means in Christ. Look what the Apostle Paul would say in Romans chapter eight. He says this, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. And we'll pull that apart in just a second. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons or daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. In that moment that we surrender and we put our faith in Christ, God puts us into a new position. No longer are we just image bearers of God, but we become sons or daughters of the God of the universe. And Paul says, look, you're no longer a slave to fear. You can become a child of God. You can cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, here I am. And you can be scooped up in the arms of the eternal God, loved and cared for. Every sin atoned for, every sin forgiven. And all of a sudden, this relationship that has been so marred by my own sin and my own, own selfish depravity all of a sudden goes away. And all of a sudden, me and the Father are, are united not only that, I'm, a, I'm an heir, a co-heir with Christ. There's so much ushered into us as sons and daughters of God. If you know Jesus Christ in this room, do you believe that? And do you live in that? And do you allow that to define you? Can we get there? I would love to stand up here on this stage and go, man, I'm there each and every day. That is where I am. I know that here. I know that here, but do I live that here? And do I allow the God of the universe to define me? Here's a... Here's a a theological position that has helped me get there a lot and it's talked me off a lot of cliffs and it's kept me on a pretty even keel for the most part. When God calls me home or God comes back for me, one of those two things is, is in the near future. He's either coming back for me or he's gonna call me home. And everything is said and done and I find myself kneeling before the throne of God in that moment. You know who is not there? my wife, my kids, any of you, Jamie, the elders, my football coach, none of them. The only person in that moment who looks down upon me is the God of the universe, the one that just got done telling me because of Jesus Christ and because of my faith in him, I'm adopted, I'm a son of God. And he will look down upon me and I won't even be able to look at his face because of the sin in my life. And he will cast it all aside and say, my son paid for all of that. You are my beloved son. Come enter your rest and usher me into eternity forever. And so in those moments that I am gripped with insecurity and I ask myself, who am I? And I, I can tell you right now, I know how it's gonna go. It just happened at eight and I pray it doesn't happen again, but I know it will. I will go sit down in this seat right over here and I will replay everything that I just said up here just now. And I will be riddled with this, this decision. I can either choose to sit in the fact that I am God's son, his beloved son, and he is pleased with me, or I can give in to everything that I've grown up with, and I can immediately take myself back to junior high and that football field and everything and go, man, did I do enough good enough job? Would Jamie let me back? Did, I approve, did the elders approve of what I said? Do you people like me? All of these things will rell up inside of me. And I've either got to decide to, to allow that to define me or I can say whether you like me, love me, or hate me, the God of the universe is for me and I'm his beloved son. And that is all that matters. And until, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm telling you, until we get there, until I get there, we're playing into the hands of the enemy because I will, I will continue to say this. The moment that I put my faith in Jesus Christ, the moment I looked the God of the universe in the eye and said, God, I'm not perfect, I'm a sinner. 
but I believe your son died in my place and I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, Satan lost the battle for my soul. My eternity is secure. I'm an adopted son of God. But now his main goal in my life is to do anything he can to get my eyes off of all that that means for me and to convince me that that's not enough, that being a son of God is not enough, to convince me that I've got to please you. I've got to please other people. I've got to make my kids happy. I've got to earn my wife's love and respect each and every day. Otherwise, I will define myself as a failure. And if I'm not careful, I'm this far away to going right back to that football field and hearing those words over and over and over again in my head. Because that's the, that's the battle. That's the battle that I fight each and every day. That's why I say it is so important for us to lean into this series and say, okay, are we going to allow God to answer these questions? Or have we given the authority to somebody else to define us? I can tell you this, when it's all said and done, God calls you home or God comes back for you, his opinion is the only one that matters. And if you know Christ, you are a beloved son. So as the song goes, we are no longer slaves to fear. We are a child of God. Can we live in that? Can we live in that? And when those moments come, and they will certainly come, and the enemy is at us, trying to get us to believe anything other than that, can we quickly run to this? Again, I've told you multiple times, Romans 8.31 is a verse that I hold on to with all that I got. If God is for me, who could be against me? God is for you. Who could be against you? And we have talked a lot about this whole idea of what it means to be in Christ, to be in Christ. There are some of you here, certainly some of you online, wherever you're sitting right now, that you sit there and you go, okay, I get that I'm, a, I'm an image bearer, though I, I'm unsure about that. Uh, I need some more questions. Maybe let's talk. But as an image bearer of God, you like me, you are, are marred by sin. You can call it a mistake, you can call it whatever you want, but there's, there's sin in your life. You've made mistakes as I have, and at some point, someone's got to atone for that. And it's either gonna be you or it was Jesus Christ. That choice is up to you what you do with your sin and your brokenness. I can tell you this, in this room and online and all the other campuses, you are surrounded by people that at some point in their life have said, I am not perfect. And just like me, have confessed their sin to God and said, God, I, I'm broken. Here's all of my stuff. And for some of us, that pile of stuff we leave at the feet of the cross is greater than others. But the beauty of Christ, no matter how big that pile is, God can take it. And in a moment, in putting your faith in Christ, you are forgiven. You are ushered into an eternal place with God, but you are also created new. Go read 2 Corinthians 5. Go look at Ephesians 3 and 4. We're a new creation in Christ. The old has become new. A new man is made. And all of a sudden, you begin to live in your son or daughtership with the God of the universe. There's no greater hope that you could have. No greater assurance that you could have. So I don't know where you're at. I don't know if, if the spirit is moving. I don't know if there's a longing in your soul to understand and to lean in and to know more about this God that we speak of, this, this Christ that changes everything. But if so, you need to talk to somebody before you leave this room or Cactus or Chapel or up at Northridge. You need to get online and interact with Ryan Heath, our campus pastor, and you just need to say, I need to know more. You need to come meet with a pastor up front in whatever room you're in. And before you leave here today, talk to somebody because we would love to put our arm around you and let you know what it means to become a child of God. It ain't magic. 
rest of this day won't go your way. Rest of this month won't go all your way. It's just not how it works. But I can tell you this, at the end of every night, whether the day went your way or it didn't, whether you are loved or despised by the world around you, you can know this with absolute certainty when you put your head on that pillow, that the God of the universe loves you and loves you eternally, loves you unconditionally. Whether you won or lost that day, God is for you because you're his son or his daughter. For the rest of us as a church, as those of us that know Christ, you're about to be sent out from here and wherever you're at, and you're gonna come face to face with a world full of image bearers that bear the image of God, that have intrinsic worth and value to the God of the universe. And for whatever reason, again, a question, I will ask God if I have the courage and the arrogance to do it. God chooses to use us, messed up, broken people, as 2 Corinthians 5 says, to be ambassadors, to be the ones that would go out and share this good news of Christ with a world that desperately needs it. And so as God places image bearers in your path throughout this next week, what might it look like as a son or daughter of God to share the hope of Christ with a world that needs it? They need it, guys. What are we gonna do with it? How are we gonna move and lean into that? Let me pray for us. And we're gonna close our time with a song, a song of reflection for us to wrestle with this a little bit. Let me pray. God, I thank you for your word, for these promises. God, I, I, you know my soul. You know the, the, the battle that I am in. God, I pray to the power of your Holy Spirit that these promises would define me in those moments that are tough, in those times when I want to cave and, and give authority over to others, that you would quickly snatch me back and let me rest in the fact that I'm your beloved son. God, I pray the same for my brothers and sisters here. God, anyone that bears the name Christian, God, as a follower of Christ, I pray that we would live in our sonship and our daughtership of you. God, I pray for those that, that maybe aren't there yet but are longing, they're seeking. Maybe your spirit's even moving right now. God, give them courage to talk to somebody. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a pastor. Maybe they get online and interact, but do not let this moment slip away. God, let the, I pray the enemy away from this moment immediately and that you would give courage to those to reach out. God, certainly for myself and for all my brothers and sisters here, as we go out into a world full of those that bear your image. I pray that our heart would break with compassion and love and grace to love any and all that you put in our way and that we would be so quick to brag on your son, Jesus, any opportunity we get. So thank you for using us. Thank you for everything that you promised us and every promise to come true. Thank you for letting me be your son and all the joy that comes with that. I love you and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.